Much of Albert Anastasia's life was spent on a murderous spree. He is one of the, the craziest and most violent uh, mob bosses in history, yes. They were looking at absolutely naked homicidal power. Chosen by Lucky Luciano to be the head of Murder Incorporated, he violently enforced the modern mafia. His brutality knew no bounds. He killed more people than some serial killers. No one felt safe around him, not even the mob bosses. Nothing makes you more nervous than to be around a psychopath. This is Mafia. Albert Anastasia was born in Italy in 1902, one of 12 siblings. As so many before him, he came to the U.S. with absolutely nothing. Ernest Volkman is the author of Gangbusters, The Destruction of America's Last Mafia Dynasty. Albert's real name is Umberto Anastasio, which is where he was born. Uh, absolute poverty in Italy. Uh, dropped out of school around the fourth grade. And he and his two brothers worked as uh, deckhands on tramp steamers all over the world. Miserable, miserable work. And occasionally they would visit Brooklyn. And he looked out and he saw people actually working on the dock, which was in sharp contrast to Italy where nobody seemed to have a job. And he decided that was for him. So he simply jumped ship along with his two brothers and he went to work on the docks like just about every other poor Italian immigrant who, who arrived there in the great waves of immigrants in the early part of the century. In Albert's case, he landed, I think, in 1915, um, and he joined uh, somewhere several hundred thousand immigrants who had also fled the poverty of Italy. Anastasia quickly discovered that life on the Brooklyn docks was no fairy tale. He reminded a lot of people of a bull. He was kind of short, but very stocky, very, very muscular. And if you have that kind of physique, it's just about ideal to work in the docks. In those days, it's very important to understand, uh, working on the docks was not something you wanted to do. It was dirty, heavy, back-breaking work. In the summertime, uh, in the days before container ships, ships were unloaded by hand. And if you were a dock worker, you went down in the holes where it might be 130 degrees. The Brooklyn docks were a dangerous place for another reason. It was the battleground for control between Irish and Italian gangs. The struggle between the Italians and the Irish for control of the waterfront was war. And I mean war. Uh, you saw men that walked around with the, with the bailing hooks. These were the big hooks they used to lift cargo and they carried them on their belts. And a lot of personal arguments were settled by bailing hooks. And you could see a lot of men walking around with big scars on their faces where somebody had lit into them with a bailing hook. Author Nathan Ward wrote Dark Harbor about the war on the New York waterfront. The docks in the days when Anastasia first reached them uh, were a deadly place uh, and, uh, and practically lawless because no one would testify, and the big rivalries were over who was going to be the new hiring boss. That was the prize job. Um, in one dock in uh, what was called Irish Town, underneath the Brooklyn Bridge, 
there were 12 unsolved murders of hiring bosses in 10 years. In no time, Anastasia established himself as a feared figure in the violent arena of the docks. Uh, he was a strong guy. He had enormous hands for his size. And they were like steel. If he hit you, you knew it wasn't unusual for one punch from him to break one of your bones. Bernie Whalen is the co-author of Undisclosed Files of the Police, about cases from the archive of the New York Police Department. Now, at that time, there was a lot of labor strife. A lot of uh, thievery was going on, uh, people stealing things from the shipments, shipments that never got to where they were supposed to go. And uh, the Longshoremen's Union kind of developed a reputation as crooked guys. Being known as a tough guy also led to more lucrative opportunities. By the age of 18, Albert Anastasia was running a successful gang of dockside thieves. But his success brought him into competition with a man by the name of Joe Torino. As far as Torino was concerned, anyone who wanted to operate on his docks would have to pay for the privilege. But Anastasia wasn't having any of it. The two men started arguing in front of the other dockers. Neither side was backing down. Eventually, Anastasia erupted in a rage and started to beat Torino. In front of witnesses, Anastasia beat Torino to death. Killing was not that uncommon on the Brooklyn waterfront in the, those violent days, but not that kind of killing. That went that's a whole extra dimension. It made Albert very talked about, obviously. The witnesses talked about watching him kill this guy with, with his bare hands and in a way that they had never seen anybody kill before. In a, in a just an incredible, almost animal-like rage. And, and this is what's stuck in their minds, and every single one of them mentioned it to the police. Albert liked it. He enjoyed it. And they suddenly realized, this is a guy who didn't kill for business, like most people did. Uh, he killed because he liked it. Anastasia's notoriety as a brutal dock worker was short-lived. He was quickly arrested and brought to trial for Torino's murder. The sentence was death. Yet even the specter of the electric chair couldn't tame him. In prison, he displayed his usual temper and frequently got into brawls. But for once... Anastasia's viciousness would work in his favor. Bernie Whalen explains. He's a young guy, he's on death row at Sing Sing. That doesn't temper himself at all. Most guys that are facing death try to make amends. They don't give uh, the guards a hard time. They don't give fellow inmates a hard time. Uh, they almost are, a lot of them are repentant and say, gee, I wish I wasn't here. He takes an opposite approach. He's still beaten up people and their fellow inmates. And uh, he comes to the attention of the barber in the prison, a guy with a nickname the Shiv. <laughs> what the heck he was doing in there uh, is pretty certain from his nickname and how he became a barber, who the heck knows. But the Shiv wasn't just a barber. He was also a scout for criminal gangs outside of the prison. And he thought Anastasia's skill set would be ideal for a particular client. A rising lieutenant in one of New York's most powerful Italian gangs, Charles Lucky Luciano. 
Lucky Luciano was the ultimate mob boss. He was ruthless. Uh, he knew what he wanted. And he wasn't afraid to go after it. Diana Bless is a New York-based journalist who's written about the history of the mafia. Lucky Luciano was powerful. Nobody messed with him because if you did, you'd end up dead. In 1920s New York, Luciano's gang was engaged in a violent war for control over the lucrative illegal alcohol market. Ernest Volkman. The Volstead Act, also known as Prohibition, went into effect in 1920. It barred the production, uh, distribution, and sale of alcohol. It had a huge loophole, however. That loophole was it didn't ban possession, which meant people, if you get their hands on it, they would continue to drink. Uh, this was the, the great bonanza for all kinds of organized crime. In order to keep up with demand, you needed a steady supply. So Luciano wanted to control the source where illegal alcohol flowed into the city, the Brooklyn Docks. The Shiv believed Anastasia's violent reputation and intimate knowledge of the docks could be valuable for Luciano. He kind of says, hey, this guy's got some potential. And he gets the word back to Luciano. says, hey, I got a guy in here that you could really use. Like a baseball scout says, hey, I got Mickey Mantle here. But there's a problem. He's facing death. He's you know, facing the electric chair. Luciano's connections get the conviction thrown out on a technicality. His lawyers, Luciano's lawyers. And they spring Anastasia. And now Anastasia owes Luciano big time. He entered prison as a violent kid. But in 1922, with Luciano pulling the strings, a transformed Albert Anastasia stepped off death row, out of prison, and into a new life. Here's Ernest Volkman. Albert's legend was born uh, to the fury of the police. Uh, Albert had to be let go. The case absolutely collapsed. That instantly, however, made Albert a celebrity in the New York underworld. Everybody talked about Albert Anastasia, the guy who beat the electric chair. Wow. Impossible. Yet he had done it. Owing his life to Luciano, it was time for Anastasia to repay the debt. Fresh out of Sing Sing, he was sent to the front line in the Italian and Irish booze war, the Brooklyn Docks. And in no time at all, Anastasia was proving his worth for the Italians. He was a very valuable soldier. And as everybody discovered very quickly, he's a psychopath. He'd kill you at the drop of a hat. If somebody said to him, go kill this guy, he'd say, okay. And he would kill him without any remorse whatsoever. Soon the Italians were securing control of the waterfront, and with it, the illegal booze trade in New York, all with the help of Albert Anastasia. With prohibition in full swing, criminal gangs were making millions. But Luciano saw a problem. The racket of bootlegging was based on ethnic divisions, with each group in a violent struggle to maintain its share of the business. Author of American Gangsters, Nate Hendley. So you've got this almost military-like conflict, which is just unprecedented and completely sort of, you know, freaking people out. With bodies littering the streets, the gang wars were becoming a scandal, drawing attention from the police and hitting profits. In the end, it was bad for business. Luciano envisioned a better way. 
We're going to cooperate. I don't care that he's Jewish. He doesn't care if I'm Italian. Guess what? See this dollar bill here? Okay, does that look Jewish or Italian to you? We sit down, we organize on a business-like basis, we assign territories, everybody is going to get well. There's plenty here for everybody. To regulate this, Luciano came up with the idea of what was called the commission. And this was simply the heads of the 24 major mafia organizations in the United States who would sit down and arbitrate disputes, uh, would make sure that everything was divided equally as it was supposed to, uh, that no person was above the organization. Everything would be done strictly on a business-like basis. But not all the bosses saw things Luciano's way. Prohibition underscored and uh, highlighted a major problem with crime, organized crime. And that was, there was a generational split. And the split was between the old-time bosses who uh, were still prisoners of the old ways, particularly Sicilians, who were very, very clannish, uh, had never gone 20 miles from their home, did not trust anybody except other Sicilians, and even they had suspicions about. If Luciano could take charge, he could restructure these gangs into a truly organized business where everyone would benefit. He realized the only way to do that was to take out the two leading mob figures in New York, the first being Joe the Boss Masseria. When Luciano decided that uh, Joe Masseria, who was the then reigning boss of the Italian mob, uh, had to go, he had to select four gunmen to do the job. Now, these gunmen had to be just exactly right. And one of them he selected was Albert Anastasio. On April 15, 1931, Luciano invited Joe Masseria to lunch at his favorite restaurant in Coney Island, New York's fairground. Masseria couldn't refuse a good meal. They had a nice lunch. They were sitting there playing cards. It was all very, very nice. And at that appointed moment, four gummen burst into the restaurant there's no coup de grace, so to speak. They've got seconds to get in and out. Uh, so they just open up with a fusillade of shots uh, sufficient to, to kill the guy. And, and Massery was, was killed instantly. Anastasia, leading the hit squad, made sure the job was done properly. And Luciano knew he'd found the perfect hitman. Six months later, the plan was complete when Luciano had remaining boss Sal Maranzano brutally murdered. He could now build a perfect criminal organization. First, he divided the five boroughs of New York to be run by five crime families, who, along with heads from Buffalo and Chicago, met as the Commission. What they did was take the old Sicilian Mafia idea and meld it with American business methods. That's really what the new mafia was all about. It would be a nationwide combine run strictly as a business enterprise. The business would be crime. Basically what they did was take an average American corporation, the way it's run, with a board of directors, vice presidents, executives, etc., and they simply copied that and made it into uh, the overseer of organized crime and an amazing structure. 
which lasted for many years. Selwyn Rabb is the author of Five Families. When uh, Lucky Luciano established the modern mafia in 1931, he realized even though they were going to work on sort of a business profile, business organization, they would try to do everything in an organized, regulated way. Killing still had to be done. Luciano also understood that they'd need a special division to enforce the newly created rules. It would become known as Murder Incorporated. He decided we needed a group of professional hitmen who could carry out whatever killings had to be done. And Luciano needed just the right person to run it. So who did he choose? None other than his favorite killer, Albert Anastasia. Albert Anastasia was the perfect model. Within the mafia, Anastasia was recognized as a uh, ruthless, uh, unflinching killer. And that was why he got the two, two nicknames. One of them was the Mad Hatter, saying he was crazy, and if he wanted to kill somebody, there was no way you could stop him. And the other one was Lord High Executioner, and the idea was he had no compunction about killing anybody. So with orders from the commission... All future murders would be conducted by these professional killers. Hits were no longer personal vendettas. They were business. Luciano imposed strict rules that oversaw how Anastasia and Murder Incorporated were to operate. One of the chief rules that the commission established was, thou shalt not kill a boss. That's a no-no. That's to protect them all, obviously, from underlings suddenly killing them in the name of ambition. It's a no-no. You just don't do it. You don't kill civilians. And the reason for that, it's not a moral issue, is that it just brings too much heat and it's pointless. It's not good for business. You don't kill ordinary citizens unless they've done something wrong. Here's Nate Hindley. This was not because the mob was squeamish or were pacifists, but there was sort of an unwritten rule that you don't kill, you know, policemen, uh, journalists, judges, politicians, and prosecutors because of the intense reaction that those assassinations would cause. If you killed, for example, a police officer, all of that police officer's buddies, even if they were in the pay of a mobster, would be guaranteed to crack down like crazy. With these rules in mind, Anastasia was now set to kill whoever Luciano told him to. Gangsters like Luciano... He can't get involved in murder. He can give an order, but he personally can't do it. That's Bernie Whalen, author of Undisclosed Files of the Police. In the old days, the guy would do it himself. Now, uh, they're going to have someone else do their dirty work. From their office above the Midnight Rose candy store in Brooklyn, Luciano's vision of multinational cooperation started in earnest as the Italian Anastasia, along with Louis Lepke Buchalter, who was Jewish, worked to carry out sanctioned murders. Anastasia turns out to be the perfect person for this job. He's the go-between. Luciano's an Italian guy. Anastasia's an Italian guy. But Lepke, he's a Jewish guy. And he's running this organization. And he, If you saw uh, Burkhalter, he was a, a thin guy, uh, nothing uh, to really think of as, as a bad guy, but he apparently uh, really was. So Luciano gives orders to Anastasia, who then works with, hand-in-hand, hand, with Lepke in carrying out these assignments. 
Together they hand-picked a team of Jewish and Italian hitmen, a lethal and effective combination. And the theory by using Jewish killers often was this, is that somebody would finger whoever had to be marked for death, and they would send over a Jewish hitman. And the idea was if the uh, suspect or the victim was Italian, he wouldn't suspect somebody who didn't look Italian at. So this was part of this entire apparatus. And Anastasia developed this to a fine craft, Murder Incorporated. The employees of Murder, Inc. were not only good at their jobs, but took pride in their work. Once again, here is author Nate Hendley. There were members of Murder Incorporated who were genuine sadists, that they, you know, they genuinely enjoyed, you know, torturing people in horrible ways and, and doing all sorts of awful things. Nothing was off limits for the Murder, Inc. workforce. They used guns, ice picks, knives, their bare fists, whatever got the job done. And Anastasia harnessed these brutal killers to professionalize murder wholesale. Hits were organized and efficient. Ernest Volkman. The idea was uh, most murders are carried out by people who know each other. The idea was these would murders be carried out by people who were strangers. Very difficult to track. And with the new way of killing came a whole new way of talking. Proper business talk. A murder order was called a contract. Now sometimes the body would be left around for what they call the advertising budget. Somebody who had stolen money, uh, he'd be found with his hands cut off. Somebody who had talked too much, they have his tongue cut out. Uh, somebody who would become a squealer, they'd find him dead with a canary stuffed in his mouth. These are all meant to send a message, okay? Uh, in some cases, the body would totally disappear, in which case they had people they called evaporators, who did nothing but make sure the body was never found. Albert Anastasia managed everything, but not one to take a back seat. He was a hands-on kind of leader. Anastasia could have probably just said, you know what, here you go, kill this guy. But he doesn't do that. He enjoys killing and taking part of it. And they say they believe that he was involved in personally in 60 murders himself. He was a guy that just could go out and kill. No compunction about it. Despite his work as the merchant of death, Anastasia also had a softer side, only seen by a few. Well, they used to have a saying that the is the street devil and the house angel. And that basically is what he was. You know, he was one guy on the streets of Brooklyn. He was another guy in Fort Lee, New Jersey. In 1937, he married Elsa, a Canadian immigrant 16 years his junior who loved him dearly. Here's Diana Blass. What's so mind-boggling about Albert Anastasia is that from 9 to 5, during his workday, he was out executing people, creating this world of fear. But then back home in New Jersey, in his big sprawling mansion, he lived a pretty quiet life. He didn't drink, he didn't party, he had a wife and kids, and he was home every night for dinner. So it was just so bizarre that somebody so ruthless and evil could go and be the ultimate family man after the workday. As the head of Murder Incorporated, life was good for Anastasia. Luciano's dream of the perfect criminal organization was becoming a reality, and Anastasia was at the heart of it. 
But Anastasia's Murder Incorporated was becoming a victim of its own success. The growing crime wave brought attention from the public and the police. And by 1935, Anastasia found himself a target for the FBI. They were trying to clean up the streets, and hotshot special prosecutor Thomas Dewey was leading the gang-busting assault. Top of his list was crime lord Charles Lucky Luciano, and Dewey had a mandate to get his man. Well, Dewey at this point has uh, become very powerful. He's probably the most powerful uh, person in law enforcement, maybe even so more than J. Edgar Hoover. He's focused on just these mobsters. He felt quite rightly that their power had grown to a point where it was a danger to the Republic, and he decided he was going to do something about it. Dewey was a very extraordinary man. He had a legal mind like nobody had ever seen. Dewey was the kind of guy, he would sit there and somebody would relate to him a, a prosecution case. He would listen quietly and then repeat it word for word. And then turn around and argue with equal brilliance the defense case against it. That's how good he was. And what he did was for the first time begin to organize uh, anti-crime in the way that crime had been organized. For Luciano and the rest of the commission, Dewey's investigation was clearly a problem. Fearing for their livelihoods, Luciano, Anastasia, and other mobsters met to discuss the emerging threat. Anastasia believed he could solve the Dewey problem forever. Albert Anastasia actually started to plot a way to assassinate him begins to stand outside his Fifth Avenue apartment, posing as his loving father. He even uh, is said to have borrowed a child off of a bike and, you know, just play with him outside the apartment, all to stake out Dewey and to catch his every moments to plot when could be a good time to assassinate him. He staked out his morning routine by, you know, he borrowed a, a baby carriage, Anastasia himself, and he would, he would walk this pram back and forth. Uh, he must have been the least convincing father ever, you know, pushing this, this supposed baby around. This raised alarm bells with the commission. They disagreed, overruling Anastasia and reminding him of Luciano's rules. As soon as they found out what he was up to, they pulled him back and said, listen, you're going to leave Dewey alone. We're not going to go after him. Killing the special prosecutor, Thomas Dewey, was crazy. But only one guy was crazy enough to think he could do it, and that was Anastasia, the High Lord Executioner, the Mad Hatter. Unlike the commission, Anastasia didn't see the bigger picture. Nate Hendley. You don't kill these people. So if Thomas Dewey had been assassinated, it's almost guaranteed that the top-level mobsters in New York City at the time would face incredibly intense pressure from both you know, city, state, and federal authorities. Federal authorities being the most you know, dangerous as far as the uh, underworld was concerned. So it would have been a very bad career move for the mob. Before Anastasia could carry out his plan, Dewey and his team nabbed Luciano. This is... Lucky Luciano, uh, the most powerful now. And he gets lucky on, of all things, running a prostitution ring. In June 1936, Luciano, 
the genius who created the modern mafia, was sentenced to a minimum of 30 years in prison. For Anastasia, this was a massive blow. If only they'd let him kill Dewey. Luciano's arrest could have been prevented and his mentor wouldn't be behind bars. And worse yet, now Dewey was coming for Lepke Buchalter, Anastasia's partner at Murder, Inc. In the next episode of Mafia, we reveal how Albert Anastasia, the Mad Hatter, dealt with the increased pressure Thomas Dewey was putting on him and his associates, how the FBI slowly started to close in on their operations, and how he ended up becoming a major liability for the Mafia. This has been an Audio Boom and World Media Rights co-production hosted by me, Fleet Cooper. It is produced by Audio Boom's Ben Hosley and Rachel Jacobs and Bettina Vasquez for World Media Rights. We had editing help from David Markowitz with additional production from World Media Rights by Gerald Zabengwa. David McNabb is the series' creative director and the executive producers for Audio Boom are Brendan Reagan and Stuart Last. Follow Mafia on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows.